Amen. Would you stay standing for just a moment? I saw some, some of you already seeking for your seat. I get it. But I want you to stay standing for just one moment to do a couple of things here. Um, one, I want us to show love and appreciation for Pastor Justin and the great leadership of Action Church. Can we do that? Absolutely. Second thing I want to do, I just want to say this to you, Pastor Justin. I, I just got this sense, and I do want to pray uh, for you that the Lord would literally just answer the cry of your heart personally for a personal encounter and also greater encounters here. And so give me like 30 seconds to do that. Just we'll pray together. Father, I pray, Lord, that the sense that I have of this deep longing for a personal encounter that Pastor Justin has and the prayer request that he's laid before you, Lord, I pray that you would do that for him. Lord, I pray this next season of his life would be a season of answered prayer. Father, there are certain petitions that he's placed before you. He's waiting for answers. Lord, I do pray that in this season, this would be a season of answered prayer. And Father, I pray that as simple as this public moment is, there would also be a moment for him where he'd be able to later come and testify. You remember that time when we prayed about answered prayer? Here are the answers. And so, Father, I thank you for the morning times that he spent with you, Lord, where he's laid out certain petitions before you. And I pray that you would cause delay to be moved now on his behalf and that you would answer his prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Absolutely. The second reason I'm asking you to stand is I, when I um, grew up, I grew up in a tradition where we would stand for the reading or the opening reading of the scripture. Uh, when I became a pastor, I didn't keep that tradition, but in noticing how uh, people have begun to devalue the word uh, even more, I've decided to recover that tradition at our church. I know I'm a guest at your church uh, in this moment uh, in all the locations at Action, uh, but also uh, joining us are is Deeper Fellowship family as well from literally around the world, thousands and thousands of people. People, uh, literally tune in from around the world. We have uh, another location in Namibia and another location in Australia and people gather from around the world. And so this is one church, one church body uh, today. And so if you'll just indulge me for a moment, what I love to do is, is read the opening scripture. It's 11 verses. I'll be off to the races, so you have to lean in on it. But it's 11 verses that I want to read to us together. It's our way of saying to God. It's just an external manifestation of saying to God, your word matters to us more than anything else that we, will, we won't stand for the reading of anything else. I mean, I know that there are times we're asked to do so, but voluntarily to stand for your word is to say that your word means more to us than anything else. I'll do that. I'll read the word. I'll pray. And then we'll be off to the races. Uh, I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse 1 through 11. This is Paul writing. He says, When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me this special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles, as I briefly wrote to you earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I've written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe in the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessing 
blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church. Somebody say the church. To display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, I thank you that in these next few moments, you will give me the grace and the ability to proclaim and declare your heart. And Father, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you take these words of mine, translate them to the heart of every believer and non-believer in this room. Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do. While I speak one thing, your Holy Spirit will translate it to multiple hearts for them to hear exactly what they need to know. You know that it is my desire to please you. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And because you are so good, because you love us so much, and because you're so gracious, I pray that during this time, you would reveal Jesus to those who have yet to know him. Reveal their need to him and save people in this room, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody say amen. You can be seated. I, uh, I will admit to you, uh, if, if it feels like I'm talking fast, it's because, and it, every church does it differently, and so I'm not saying this in a way that is, is negative at all, but I speak a little bit longer at my church uh, than we do uh, here, and so if it feels like I'm off to the races, um, that is why some of you will love the fact that, that I have this time limit. Others of you will say I'm still hungry for more and all that kind of stuff, but it's all good. Some of you have no patience for how long I speak at my church, and so you're going to be just fine. Uh, you're going to be happy that I was invited here. <laughs> and so, um, no, I really, really have found it an honor uh, during this time. Um, I recognize that, that they could have invited anyone, any other pastor around the city, really any other pastor around the nation or around the world because of the reputation of what God is doing here at Action Church. Um, what is happening here uh, is not common. I know that you may think that it, it's cool and it, it's neat and it's kind, whatever you want to, uh, adjective you want to throw there. Um, but in a time when church attendance is declining to see a rapidly growing church with multiple locations that you know you're a part of something special. Uh, and so uh, it's important then for us to recognize that if we are a part of something special and God is doing something significant, there must be an answer to the question why. Why is it then that God is doing what he's doing among us? He did not save you uh, because he thought it'd be really great for you to come to Action Church and just sit and receive for the rest of your life. He saved you actually because he wants to. He put you in a church called Action because he wants you to do that. Yes, uh, and so I recognize that it, it's not necessarily the faith tradition of a bunch of people to respond. It's okay, I'm not preaching for responses, but I did bring a couple amens with me over here. And so if y'all are a little quiet, uh, I got some amens uh, <laughs> to back me up. Um, when this invitation was extended, I've been excited about this moment, but I did not exactly know what the Holy Spirit would invite me to say. There's a few themes uh, that have been uh, running in my heart um, uh, for, for a number of months, and there's a few themes that have been running uh, as I 
traveled the body of Christ uh, for a number of years that I feel like are part of my responsibility to the body. I've had the privilege of ministering in almost 50 different nations. Uh, and so because of that, um, you, you, you do feel certain responsibilities or themes that run throughout the body of Christ or things that the Holy Spirit will place on your heart to say, I want you to carry this message here. But specifically, when it came to coming to action, there was only one particular message uh, that he laid on my heart. Um, I recognize that it will be a challenge for some of us, but my goal here is not to actually give you the entire thing. My goal here is to actually give you an introduction that leads to an invitation into prayer. In other words, I recognize that I can't finish what I start today, but my goal is that you uh, will ask the Holy Spirit what your responsibility is after you've heard it. My, my pastor, Bishop Joseph Garlington, um, who is the pastor of Covenant Church in Pittsburgh uh, and the president of Reconciliation Ministries International, has made this statement for a number of years. The statement is this, in a divided society, only the church can model unity. In a divided society, only the church can model unity. I'm going to prove that to you biblically because we have a responsibility. I do believe that when I say things like this, um, I know that it hits the, the, the ears of the hearer in a multiplicity of different ways. Some of you are ready to hear what I'm saying. Others of you are wondering, trying to figure me out. Am I going to go a certain direction? Am I going to offend you? Stuff like that. I personally am not going to offend you, but I do hope that the word does. Amen. <laughs> so, um, um, we would likely agree with that statement, but, but the truth of the matter is, when we say a statement like, in a divided society, only the church can model unity, we typically tend to look at that as an aspirational statement and not a command. But it's not just an aspirational statement. It's not just something that we are to strive towards. In fact, um, if I get the opportunity to lean into it just a little bit more than I did the first service, what I actually want to prove to you is that unity is what already is. It's not something we pursue. It's what already is. And so um, we tend to look at it as something that's desired but not required. I want to flip that on its head today. It's not just an aspirational thing. It's not just something that's desired. It's actually something that's required. And I do believe that we are at a moment of distinction uh, in the body of Christ and specifically uh, in our nation. The kind of distinction in which God is looking for who will actually take his, what I call a divine invitation or an invitation from God and actually do something about it or who will remain indifferent. Those who actually do something about it, what you're going to see is that the presence and the power of God is going to empower you in ways like you could never imagine. To be honest with you, because of the different themes that I had the opportunity to talk about, um, we could have come and we could have talked about some of the popular things that run through the church right now. Things like revival and a move of God, the presence of God. Those are all amazing buzzwords and things of that nature. However, um, to be honest with you, if I were to talk about some of those things, I'd have to also then talk about the prerequisite of those things because certain things uh, require other things first. So, for example, you can't get revival without repentance. And so to talk about revival without repentance is to actually talk about revival in terms of our attendance. But that's not the way that revival actually works. And so I would have to do those kinds of things. Or to talk about a move of God, it would be talking about our responsibility. To talk about the presence of God, we'd be talking about our surrender. To talk about worship, we'd be talking about our lifestyle. To talk about evangelism, we'd be talking about what we need to do. To talk about faith, we'd be talking about our active participation. Or the miraculous, which would be talking about our levels of faith. Or the principles of the kingdom of God. All those are amazing things to talk about. But I feel compelled by the Spirit here at Action Church to talk about an area 
area of invitation. There are moments when certain things happen that are invitations by God uh, into something else. That if we, even if it's something that was not caused by us, it's an invitation by God. Now, I would say this to you. It doesn't take an astrophysicist to be able to recognize that many of the problems of our day have roots that are predate our generation. If we were to really take a look at it, most of the stuff was not caused by us. But um, I have a friend who makes a statement that I think is, is very important. And this is the part where you either get to decide to fold your arms and say, does the Holy Spirit have something to say to us? That is this. He would say whenever we would enter into a particular problem or something that we didn't want to deal with, he would say, it's not your fault, but it is your problem. It may not be your fault, but it is your problem. The fact that it's something that you are being invited to deal with now, it is your problem, even if it's not your fault. What if, may I pose a question, what if God is trusting this generation with age-old problems because he knows that there are some people among us who are willing to deal with them? Now, I recognize that a bunch of people will say, I don't want to deal with anybody else's problems. I totally get it, but we're all in it anyway. I, I, I want to, I, I was reminded of a particular passage of scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 21. It's not for the screen. I just want to summarize it for you. The particular passage in 2 Samuel chapter 21 where the Bible says that King David uh, was presiding over the land. And, and during that time that he was presiding, there was a three-year famine during that time. And a three-year famine, uh, the Bible says, happened year after year after year. And by the third year, he's like, okay, something's up. <clears throat> maybe, maybe I might want to talk to God about this. Uh, that, that, let that be a, a, a little cue for you. I didn't say this in the first service, but perhaps if something is persisting in your life, maybe you should talk to God about it. Yeah? So, so this thing is happening for three years, and so he goes to God, and he says, God, why is this famine happening? And the Lord speaks to him, and he says, this famine is happening because Saul broke a covenant with the Gibeonites. So wait one second. David was the king, and there's a famine in the land, but the famine in the land is because Saul broke a covenant with the Gibeonites. But if you study the covenant that Saul broke, what you will discover is that the covenant that Saul broke was not a covenant that Saul made. Joshua made the covenant. So for those who, who uh, understand, the reason I keep doing this is because what I'm actually doing is I'm skipping over timelines, right? So, so David's over here, Saul's over here. He broke a covenant that Joshua made way back here. It's not your fault, but it is your problem. You're, you're dealing with a famine that's not your fault, but it is your problem. It has happened because of that. And I believe that we receive a, a divine invitation. If we look at the surrounding circumstances, literally, of the earth right now, there are certain things that are not our fault, but they are our problem. It's an invitation from God. It's, it's not new, um, but it is obvious that the nations are largely unsettled. It doesn't matter uh, what, what sphere you, you take your media from. Uh, it's, it's a pretty obvious thing that the nations are unsettled. And those who have spiritual eyes, which is supposed to be all believers, who have spiritual eyes can clearly recognize uh, that this is literally, the things that are going on on earth right now is actually a cry from the unbelieving world. It's a cry for help from the unbelieving world. Uh, the world is essentially saying we are trying everything we possibly know how to do from political to military to social activism. We don't know what else to do. We're trying everything we do to fix the brokenness around them. And guess what, church? They won't be able to do it. Jesus would not have come if the world didn't need a savior. Yeah. 
There are, I got there, there's a couple claps right there, there's a smattering of applause. It's okay, I'm not preaching for your approval, right? So, 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 no, no, I'm, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that in a sarcastic way. I, I'm saying that, that at times you need to know what God's put on your heart to the point where even if no one agrees, you're okay, right? So, so, Jesus did not come to be a moral leader for us, to, to teach us a better way of morality. He came to save the world. And so because he came to save the world, it's then important and incumbent upon us to recognize for those of us who have Christ in us, we also have the answer. Now, many of us don't necessarily look at it like that, but Jesus is the answer. But what I want you to also understand is that the way that he's revealed to the world, apart from supernatural um, uh, uh, epiphanies or, or theophanies or whatever you want to call them, uh, apart from that, the way that God has chosen to reveal Jesus to the world is through his bride, the church. That is how he's chosen to do it. And so because of that, we have a responsibility. Now, many of us, if we were to take Matthew chapter 28, we'd all say, okay, this is our collective responsibility on what, what people call the great commission, not the great suggestion. It, it's this thing that says this is what all of us are supposed to do, not just those who have a microphone in their hand every Sunday, but all of us are supposed to live this way. All of us are supposed to live a life of evangelism. Now, now you would say, okay, this is one of those messages where you're going to tell us we got to go out and talk to everybody. Well, evangelism actually has um, at least two components. I want to focus on the two of the components of evangelism. One of them is proclamation. That's one of the components of evangelism. It's proclamation, which is speaking the good news. Um, I know uh, if, for, if you're an introvert, yeah, I just want you to know that as much as I'm standing up here talking to you right now, I am an extreme introvert. God would take an extreme introvert and send him around the world preaching. And then when I finished, I don't want to talk to anybody. And then he made me a pastor. <laughs> so that means he had to surround me with extreme extroverts. But that does not absolve me from my responsibility. Right? So, so there is the proclamation of the gospel, which is one of the, the, uh, one of the things that is a nature or component of evangelism. Pastor Justin just stood up here and said, here, I'm, we're going to help you evangelize. All you have to do is give someone a card, invite them, and run away. <laughs> and some of us won't even do that, right? We don't want to proclaim. Well, for those of you who don't want to proclaim, um, you're not absolved because there is another level of evangelism. And the other component of evangelism is demonstration. Now, how demonstration works is this. Demonstration itself is expressed in power by the operation of the gifts, which are signs that accompany proclamation. So Jesus talked about this. These signs will follow those who believe. And so when you pray for someone who's sick, um, you could actually believe that, that God has the power to heal them. That, that is to point to the fact that the proclamation of the good news of the gospel is true. That we're not just talking about something out of thin air, right? So that is one of the, the ways. The other way of demonstration is, is the part that, that many of us have to work out here. So there is proclamation and there is demonstration. Demonstration is expressed in the power of the operation of the gifts, which are signs of the company proclamation. And here's the other part of demonstration. Believers loving each other. That is a demonstration of or act of evangelism. The way that we treat one another. Our love for one another is evangelism because it proves that the power of the Holy Spirit is at work. It screams loudly that if there is nothing, if there, that there is something else, a greater power that is at work than that which is in the world, uh, which gives us the ability to do something that those without God do not have the ability or the capacity to do. 
And that is the first of my two Greek words that I'm going to share with you today. Why? Because I want to confuse you by being a guest in your house wearing an African suit and teaching you Greek. <laughs> so, so, so what is it that the world does not have the ability or the capacity to do? If I told you the English word, you say everybody knows how to do that. So then I have to tell you the nuanced language of the Greek so that you can understand that our English word encompasses a number of things but does not necessarily bring us the right definition. The world does not have the ability to love. Now you would say that's not true until I tell you the definition of the word that I'm using here is a specific biblical word called agape. What the world does not have the ability to do is agape, which is love genuinely, selflessly, and sacrificially as God does. That is agape. That is the first of our two Greek words in our Greek lesson today. They don't have the ability to agape or to love genuinely, selflessly, and sacrificially as God does. Now, when I speak of the world, I'm not speaking of that which is secular. What, what is secular? Anything that's not religious. So I'm not talking about that, nor am I talking about the cosmos. I'm not talking about that. And I'm actually talking about a specific term in the scripture that describes the world, uh, first, second, and third John uh, contrast this very well. It's actually the word that means those who are hostile and indifferent towards God. That's what the, what the, when the scriptures talks about the world or the unbelieving world, it's actually not talking about the cosmos or the secular. It's talking about those who in their heart are indifferent or hostile towards God. And so that is the primary way. Now, the primary way that the world, those who are hostile and indifferent towards God, will know that God sent Christ is our evangelism through the vehicle of demonstration, which is the way we agape one another which reveals then that there is a submission to one who is greater than the world. God is bigger than the world. Also, the scripture says this is how disciples will be identified. According to John 17, it also says that our unity becomes the additional proof to an unbelieving world that God sent Christ. So we then have been given an assignment, one that only the church can accomplish, even though those outside of the Christian faith mention this word often. Every time you turn on television, you hear this word quite a bit. You hear the word unity. But I want you to understand that unity is a word that can only be accomplished here first. <laughs> so, so I know that you would agree with that, but one more thing I want you to do to help me feel like I'm at home because I'm at home even though I'm not in my house. Whenever we want to talk about it a little bit further, we say at home, let's go deeper. There, thank you, Pastor Eddie. I brought my amens and I'm going to take Pastor Eddie with me. <laughs> and Pastor Justin, like, no, you are not. So I, I totally get it. <laughs> There's a, a particular passage of scripture that we tend to, um, in church circles, when I mean church circles, I'm talking about leadership circles, leadership conferences, church planning conferences, things of that nature. We tend to idolize a particular passage of scripture. Um, and when I say idolize, I'm not talking about like in a, in a way like set it as an idol, but I mean, more I mean idealize as if it's not actually attainable, but we talk about it to, to beat ourselves up. But um, I, I want to do this. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We typically tend to, to look at this scripture as if 
it's a hypothesis or a description rather than a prescriptive reality of how the church is supposed to function. There are times in scripture where the Bible itself is describing an event. There are other times in scripture where it's prescribing how we're supposed to live and it's important for us to discern the difference. Certain things are descriptions. So like, for example, you probably shouldn't try to get into a lion's den. Right? Um, maybe when you go whale watching, you shouldn't try to jump into the mouth of a whale and see if God will do a Jonah for you. <laughs> okay? But there are certain things that are not descriptions. They are prescriptions like love. Okay, um, so Acts chapter 2, 42, we've looked at it as a, a descriptive instead of a prescriptive, and I want to turn it on its head because we look at our modern context and we explain it away as if it's for different times, for a life thousands of years ago, but I want to pose the question, what if this is exactly how God intended for it to be among believers? Acts chapter 2, verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. That's where most of y'all are like, I'm not doing that at all. Uh, <laughs> they sold their property and their possessions and shared the money with those in need. You're like, that sounds like a Ponzi scheme. No, no, keep going. All right. Um, they worshiped together and, and at the temple every day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals of great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying uh, the goodwill of all the people. Each day, the the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. Now, when we talk about this often, we talk about this and we, we, we glorify the first century church and we talk about how different we are and stuff like that. And then we, then some people will explain it away and say, hey, that's not possible because that was a small group of people who lived under the threat of persecution all the time. So this is an impossible reality. You shouldn't be teaching it in 2021 because everything is different now. But may I pose to you the fact that this was not just a small group of people because when it's says all the believers, it's talking about the believers who verse 41 that I did not read is the 3,000 that were added to the church. So this happened among thousands of people and then the Bible says that the Lord added to them daily. So this was a growing movement that was taking place and yet he was saying this is how they lived. So, so it's not just a small group. This is what the first community was, first church community was devoted to. This is not descriptive. I will, I will submit to you that this is prescriptive. This is actually something that God intends for us to live. Uh, uh, they were devoted to four things. The apostles teaching about Jesus, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. They were devoted to those four things. And today, with the balance of my time, I will only talk about one of those things, which is the word fellowship. They were devoted to fellowship. Devoted means a steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. A definition I don't expect you to remember. So here's what devoted means. This is what mattered. This is what matters. What are you devoted to? What matters? Right? And so this is what mattered to them. Talking about Jesus, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. Now, I told you I was going to give you two Greek words. I gave you one, which is agape, for those of you who, who glossed over or whatever. That was the first word. Here is the second word. Uh, it is the word for fellowship in the Greek because when we think fellowship, we think hanging out with each other. But it actually has a deeper meaning than that. It is the Greek word. Some of you may have heard it. Some of you may have never heard it. It is the Greek word koinonia. 
It is the Greek word koinonia, uh, and that means fellowship. And here's the thing. This word fellowship in the Greek, this specific word for fellowship in the Greek, koinonia, is a word that is specifically unique to the church in the, in the way that it wasn't actually used by Jesus. So you said, now what are you talking about? Something that he wasn't talking about. Can I show it to you? It was the establishment of the church after the resurrection that triggered the establishment of the word. Why? Because until Acts 2, there could not be koinonia on earth. Now, I've said to our church on a, on a regular basis, and I, I do want you to know the reason why I'm giving you an introduction is because I've spent at least a half a year cumulatively over the past couple of years talking about this one thing. So I can't give it to you in a message, right? Especially not in 16 minutes. All right, so, so um, um, <clears throat> I've said over and over to our church that koinonia fellowship in this way is not a concept, but a revelation. What is a revelation? Something that is given by God to man. That's a revelation. And so I've said this to our church over and over. Now, what happens is on um, 50 days after Easter every year, uh, parts of the church choose to commemorate Pentecost. Uh, it's a festival, uh, a Jewish festival originally, but they choose to commemorate Pentecost, which uh, uh, from 2,000 years ago began to celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit or indwelling of mankind. Uh, in certain traditions like Pentecostal and charismatic traditions, people usually use that time to celebrate what they define as a gift of speaking in tongues. I'm not about to get weird. No one's about to do anything. Stay with me. All right. So, so um, if I if I can, what I want to do is actually introduce another way of looking at Pentecost or what happened in Acts chapter two. It's not singularly a celebration of man being able to speak in other languages or unknown languages, but rather a celebration of the ability to walk out the revelation of divine mysteries. What are the divine revelations? Revelation, one of the divine mysteries that people are able to walk out, one of them is what I'm talking about, which is the mystery of unity. Prior to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, mankind did not have the ability to walk out the revelation of unity. The second thing then became Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so fellowship or communion that produces unity was never expected of man, which is why Jesus didn't talk about it in those terms, until the third person of the Trinity filled man so they could enter into the fellowship that always existed in God. In other words, true koinonia is inviting us into the koinonia that already existed. So, so Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existed in perfect koinonia. So when Pentecost arrived and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, this was the moment that the expectation of unity was now given. It did not happen prior to that. And so what is this fellowship that we're talking about? What does this koinonia actually mean? It means partnership. It means sharing. It means communion, which every time you take communion, you are doing koinonia if you understand it well. Right? So it means that, but the deeper meaning is this. It means common ownership. Common ownership of what, friends? The Holy Spirit. Koinonia is the common ownership of the Holy Spirit, which is to say that when you look at me, I have the same thing you do. And when I look at you, you have the same thing I do. There's no actual difference between us because what makes us special is what we own together. 
This is, this is one of the reasons why separation in church itself is actually one of the biggest demonic lies there is. It is the enemy trying his best to obscure the world's vision from what already is. So, so that's why I said the word koinonia didn't show up until the church was birthed because the word needed a people. The word itself would have been running around the earth saying, where can I manifest? How can I, how can I fulfill if the word of God doesn't return void, how it will accomplish everything he sent it to do? How can I accomplish it if there's no people for it? So the way that God created a people was he created a people who he filled with himself and invited them into his koinonia. So the enemy himself, what he tries to do is he tries now to fight against the, the revelation of this mystery which God gave to Paul. And so the way that he does it is if you recognize that the enemy himself could not stop it. Why couldn't the enemy stop it? Because God is smarter than him. He's not an equal force to God. I just want you to know, he's already defeated. He's not an equal force to God. So how is God smarter than him? He concealed the mystery of unity by concealing the church. Nowhere in the Old Testament will you actually find a direct prophecy of the church. You will find allusions to it, but it was not something that was explicitly spoken. Why? Because the church was not just reserved for one people. The church was actually two groups of people being made one on the cross. And so because of that, it was concealed. He was concealing how Jesus would bring all things together. So he didn't speak of the church because if he had spoken of the church, the enemy would have messed with the whole world instead of just the children of Israel. So what he did is he hid it. He said, I have a message that is about to go to the entire world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It does not say, for God so loved his people. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever... I don't know about you, but I'm a whoever. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God had a mystery. He had a plan in mind. And so therefore, what he does after he does this work is he decides now is the time for me to reveal it to one of my servants. So I will reveal this mystery of unity, this message of unity. What I'm actually going to do is I'm going to take one of the chief religious leaders of the Jewish community, a man named Saul, who's going to have a conversion experience on the road, on the Emmaus road. I'm going to change his mind. I'm going to change his heart. I'm going to train him. And then I'm going to send him to be a missionary to the Gentiles to tell them you're able to enter into the same covenantal promise that you've been the outsider to this entire time. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the ability to proclaim a mystery that no one understood, which is where I pick up Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9. God has now revealed to us this, his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan at the right time. He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. Now, I need you to understand that what he's actually talking to is a group of people who just one to two generations earlier could not stand each other. 
Now what he's saying is, I want you to know that you're going to have to lay down your differences now because Christ did something great. Uh, I want to read the rest of it to you. Um, He united Jews and Gentiles into one people in his own body on the cross. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with his commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups together as one body Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death now this is one of the life messages that God has given me and I want you to know that even though it's one of the life messages that God has given me I was pretty upset with him when he gave it to me particularly when he asked me to pick it back up this year And one of the reasons is because of the polarization that we're in right now. To be in the level of polarization that we're in right now in our nation and in the earth, I wanted to be like, "Uh, God, have you been paying attention to the world right now? Have you been paying attention to the state of the world? Don't you know that people are going to throw rocks and tomatoes at me if I preach this at Action Church? Because there there are some people who are just like, I'm sick of this unity talk. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of that. I just wish we could just split up. I wish we could go our separate ways. I don't love them. I don't like them. I don't agree with them. I don't this. I don't that. And in the middle of all that, God, by his spirit, says, hey, church, you don't have that right. Come on. Wow. Wow. You don't have the right to call the harvest the enemy. So, so what he says then is I've given you a solemn responsibility to demonstrate what the world is crying out for. What the world is crying out for is can you show us Jesus? And I want you to know that you can't show anybody a Jesus that you talk about but don't model. It is what we call the gospel crisis to actually proclaim a Jesus that can change you but hasn't changed me. If people are surprised when you say you are a Christian, that means there's more work to do. So, so I said, God, I, I, have, a, I have a problem with it. And, and he said, okay, um, um, I, I, I don't want you to, to I'm, I'm like, God, I, I don't want to talk about this right now. In fact, what you're asking me to talk about right now is impossible because you're asking me to live Koinonia and I'm struggling because I don't like everybody. <laughs> that was the most honest response you gave me this entire time because your laughter was saying me too. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the reality of it is, when I said, God, this is impossible, he said, good, now you're ready. Yes. And here is where I get to land my plane today because, because the truth of the matter is what Jesus came to do was to show us that the things that we think we can do are actually impossible. Let me give you an example. On the Sermon on the Mount, he says certain things to elevate the understanding of the law. For example, so in the Sermon on the Mount, he says things that, that we cringe a little bit at because the law essentially said, listen, um, if you commit adultery, you have sin. That's the law. And so people are like, okay, well, I think I can live that. Jesus said, no, let me give you the intent of the law. If you've even looked at someone and thought about it, you've already done it. It was to say that it's impossible for you to actually live without me. (laughs) So, So if you think that you can get to heaven through your moral deeds and your good acts, I want you to know that God's not looking at your external. He's looking at your internal. 
He's looking at what's actually on your heart. And so the reality of it is we can fool everybody else, but we can't fool God. We can look real righteous on the outside, but be ravenous wolves on the inside. And so therefore, what he wants to do is he wants to take his word and allow it to challenge us. So he raises the bar. He invites us into the revelation of koinonia. And so I, I, I tell him, Pastor Justin, in the back, um, I, I really set my church up because for about six weeks, I was teaching them what koinonia is, what koinonia is. Koinonia is this, koinonia is that. And I gave them all these definitions. And everybody said, Pastor, this is so good. And they're writing all this stuff down. And then one week I stood up and said, okay, I have a confession to make to you. Everything I've been telling you is impossible. Now, some people are like, what? And other people are like, I, I knew it because I couldn't do it. <laughs> I wasn't about to even try that stuff, and you were setting us up to fail. But what, but what, I, what I want you to know is that that koinonia that I'm talking about, this, this level of fellowship, this level of deference, this level of sacrifice, this level of love, this level of selflessness, this level of surrender is not hard. <laughs> and it's not easy. It's impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> it, 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 if it were hard, what you would find is that overachievers would be doing it while sneering at the rest of us. Whoa. If it were easy, everybody would be doing it. It's just like salvation. That's why Ephesians 2 tells us that salvation uh, is not a, a thing that we get from our good works. Or people would boast about it. I'm saved because I'm good. It's by his grace, which means that all of us are saved by the same grace. Oh, my time is gone. Um, so so here's, here's my point. Here's my point. Because <laughs> I, I got to give you all the opportunity to get saved as well. Um, so, so koinonia can't be done even though it's expressed in deeds. But actions itself don't actually fulfill it. What then is it if it's impossible? Koinonia is the act of surrendering your entire self to God. We don't do koinonia. God does. So then, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us? It means that if we can't do it, if we're not doing it, it's revealing the areas of our life that need to be surrendered. What God is actually doing, every single time we fall short of loving like he does, he's revealing to us an area of our life, an area of our heart that is yet submitted to him. Because I want you to know that the first surrender you gave him, you know, that day that you came down or, or, or raised your hand or surrendered your life to Christ, that was not your total surrender. Because I've learned that yes to God is an unfolding word that he will require from you over and over again. And here's the amazing thing about, I opened up with this particular passage of scripture. I like literally have to crash land right now. Um, but, but literally, here's the amazing thing about it, right? What God does for all of our locations, wherever you're watching, what God did is he set aside the church and gave them the task of modeling his manifold wisdom by modeling this level of unity, which is actually requiring surrender of us. And then what he does is he makes the devil watch. He makes, he reminds the devil that the cross happened and you're defeated because the cross is not individual, it's communal. It's, it's, this, it's this moment that says when Jesus was on that cross, he was actually bringing everybody together. And now, because the enemy can't undo it, what does he try to do? According to Galatians chapter 5, he tries to get us to bite and devour each other. Because he can't undo it, so what he needs is for us to undo it. Unity is not something we're striving for, it's something that already exists. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4, we are to protect it. 
protected protected and so everything that you're seeing right now is the enemy's attempt to try to get the world to not know that Jesus came every time you have something come up in your heart I need you to know from this moment forward that's not from God this is the enemy trying to get people's vision of Christ to be obscured but Jesus did something so powerful for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You and I have a responsibility. What is my point in all of this? It's not to make you understand the depths of Koinonia or the depths of his word or even the depths of unity, but instead to introduce you to the idea, God, is there anything that you're requiring of me? Is there anything in my heart that you need to deal with? Have I been carrying some things that obscure people's vision of you? Because ultimately it was and is your desire that my life would reflect you in such a way that would cause the world who is crying out for an answer to say, what is it that's going over there at Action Church? What is it that's going on at Deeper Fellowship? What is it that's going on in Orlando that the church itself serves one another with such selfless love that they're completely different than the culture? Because the culture says, go in your corners. The culture says, go into your different things. And yet, there's a people that the word Koinonia found a home with. It said, we will do this word above the culture. My time is done, but I do want to give those of you an opportunity who have yet to know this Jesus who so loved the world and so loved you that he gave his life for you, which means that he was thinking about you when you weren't even thinking about him. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, at the right time, God sent Christ to die for the ungodly, which is to say that when you were in the middle of your mess, before you even got there, God sent Jesus for you. I'm a person who, I love movies. And there's a particular movie that many of you have probably seen. It's the movie Jerry Maguire. And in the movie Jerry Maguire, literally, um, Tom Cruise's character, he, he does something and he messes up and, and he's away from his, his love. And when he decides to, he can't, he can't live without her, he, he comes back and he's prepared this speech. And in this speech, he's saying all these things and all these ladies are around. And Renee Zellweger, she's the, the main uh, character he's talking to and her eyes are filled with tears and, and she just says this line you had me at hello y'all remember that anybody remember that you had me at hello which is to say that you didn't need the speech all you needed was just to come and the truth of the matter is this is we, we, we know this story in the scripture uh, we call it the story of the prodigal son but really it is actually the story of the loving father and the story of the loving father is this. The son went away and did his stuff. He wanted his inheritance and he went on accountability. He kind of went and did right and living. The Bible says when he came to himself, he thought to himself, well, in my father's house, even the servants get treated better than this. He found himself in the, in the, the pig slop and everything else. Like Even the servants get treated better than this. And the truth of the matter is a lot of times when we come to ourselves, when we realize that we need to save and we realize we've messed up and realize we've made a mistake our, our goal at that moment is to try to get all of our words together try to get our speech together try to figure out how we can come to God but the truth of the matter is what that parable shows is that the father was always looking for the son to come home because the Bible says that when the son decided to come home the father saw him from afar off which meant he was looking for him 
And when he saw him from afar off, the son probably was thinking all the things that he had to say first in order to get right with the father. But the father throws his robe around him, throws a party for him and everything else. I want you to know that if you would take a moment to just say, you know what, I need God, you will discover that you'll have him at hello. You have him at hello. He, he's like, save your speech. I, I, I know that you, I know you, you, you feel like you've done bad and all this kind of stuff. But if you'll just come home, I'll take care of the rest. And maybe many of you in this room, you may not have looked at God as your father and, and, and him accepting you as home. But you've been away from home. This, this earth, this world is not your home. You've been away from home. But if you want to come home in this room, this is not a room of judgment. This is not a room of condemnation. This is not a room where someone is going to look at you and say, what do you think you're doing? This is actually, you're gaining a family. When I'm talking about this unity thing, here's the amazing thing about the cross. Not only does the cross make it so that we are reconciled back to God, but we're also reconciled back to everyone else who is reconciled back to God, which means that not only do you gain a father, you gain a room full of brothers and sisters and a world full of them. You don't have to stay alone. Salvation this moment is for you. Someone might have been praying for you to get to this moment. Somebody may have invited you, no matter what campus you're in they may have invited you to come and you didn't know why you're going to come they're like man you need to hear my pastor justin and then he introduces this guy in the african suit and you're like what in the world this is not who i invited him to see but guess what it's the lord he's the one who invited you he's the one that made you get up this morning he's the one that brought you to this moment and so now this moment right here is not between me and you it's between god and you so would you take a moment to close your eyes in this room and no matter where you're watching around the city take this moment and if you know that you need God you want someone to pray with you and talk with you about Jesus you need someone to do that you're like I don't know what steps to take next but I do know that I can't stay where I am doing what I'm doing if that's you in this room and I count to three I just want you to lift your hand up so that those who are here in this room who are part of the Action Church ministry team can know who they're praying for. If you, someone's already lifted their hand, they didn't need to wait to three. There's another that's already lifted their hand. I'm gonna get the rest. One, two, three, go ahead and do it. If you know you need the Lord, you know you need him, you wanna have a relationship with him, hands up, hands up, hands up. Thank you, Jesus. I see you all over this room. I see you all over this room. People that wanna be right with God. I want you to know you had him in hello. Pastor Eddie is gonna take it from here and uh, give you instructions on what to do.